Welcome back to the Vault of Silliness. Or should I say, Vault of Clippiness. Yes, the clipping at the end of the episodes continues, and the powers that be are fighting the good fight to resolve it properly. But, for now, we have agreed to try a little trickery. A bit of video voodoo. Some audio abracadabra. What is it? Well, thank you just so darn much for asking. I will add around 30 seconds of silence at the end of each show. The hope is that it will now clip off the added silence and my wonderfully entertaining close to each show will be heard in its entirety. I'm sure some of you are saying, uh, he should add the silence at the start of his close. All right, wise guys. So this will be our test episode for that procedure. Let us venture back to February 25th, 1996 for a Norm Nathan show that I have titled Wolves at the Studio Door. We have three guests, all of whom will be speaking about the wolf. Guest number one is Fred Keating from Lokai Clan Wolf Refuge in Conway, New Hampshire, a shelter for wolf hybrids. Those are wolves mixed with the domesticated dog. He provides excellent info on wolves and their abilities, explains all his refuge does, and what started him on this journey. Guest number two is Paul Safran from the North American Wolf Foundation in Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, Mass. At the time, he had 17 100% pure British Columbian Timberwolves, and they were howling in the background. He tells us about the horribly senseless and cruel ways the wolf was treated and exterminated in the past and how governments are trying to right those wrongs. And, of course, he talks about his foundation, his experiences, and the presentations he and his wife Joni do at Wolf Hollow. Guest number three, Rick McIntyre, author of War Against the Wolf. He adds even more perspective on the anti-wolf mindset of the time and now, thankfully, a change in attitudes and philosophy about the wolf and its importance in the environment. We do take some calls with Rick. We begin with Joe from Quincy, and then Paul Safran returns to speak with Rick. That first call from Joe prompts a great discussion and Paul talks more about understanding the wolf and how he interacts with them. We continue with Jim in Georgetown, John from Michigan, Barbara in Brookline, Pauline from Westboro, Bruce in Boston, and Pat from Plainville. Episode 127, Wolves at the Studio Door, howls its way to your ears now. The owner and operator of, uh, uh, is it Loki? Is that the way you pronounce that, Fred? Loki. 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 That sounds more wolf-like. <laughs> it's a little sharper. Yeah, Loki Clan Wolf Refuge up in Conway, New Hampshire. I'm told it's a shelter for wolf hybrids, that is, wolf, wolves uh, and a domesticated dog, dog mix. And you run it on your own land. Right. Uh, and all that kind of, uh, kind of stuff. Anyway, I could tell more about you, but I'd rather hear you, you talk about that. For the next uh, couple hours, as a matter of fact, we'll be, we'll be talking about wolves, basically. I wonder, do you all know each other? Do you know... Paul Safran of the uh, the uh, founder director of the North American Wolf Foundation up yes, in uh, Ipswich. Yes. And Rick McIntyre, who's uh, written a book called War Against the Wolf. I've heard of Rick. I haven't uh, read that book yet. Though. Okay, but the wolf has such a bad name, uh, in a sense, uh, usually from people who have no idea what a what, what a wolf even is. But you know, the big bad wolf and uh, Little Red Riding Hood, who met the wicked wolf. Oh, did she meet a fox? I always I, I get them mixed up. <laughs> that that kind of stuff. And uh, I know that later on when when we talk to uh, Rick McIntyre, 
uh, he'll be talking about the the campaign to to uh, to exterminate the wolves that has con been conducted even by our government for for hundreds of years, and uh, how unfair that all of that is. Anyway, tell me about your part of it because you're talking about wolves that are mixed with uh, domesticated dogs. Right. Um, for a long time now, for well over fifty years, there's been a, a program of mixing the wild wolf with the domestic dog to create an animal called a wolf hybrid, which is actually a misnomer. Uh, it's correctly called a wolf-dog cross. But uh, what happens with the uh, crossing of them? Sometimes you get an animal that has more dog in it. Sometimes you get more wolf in it. Uh, I found that the more dog you get in it, the more dangerous it is. Is that right? Um, is, most people would think just the opposite. No, the wolf in the wild is basically a pacifist. It's a non-aggressive animal, uh, does want, not want to have anything to do with people at all. In uh, fact, there has never been a documented account of a healthy wolf attacking a human being, ever. Now, why why would anybody then mix a wolf with a dog? Is that... Is that so somebody who feels that they're terribly macho can own a dog that, that has wolf blood in them? Or, or why, why would you do that? Well, for people who understand the wolf, you want to get into the, uh, the society of the wolf. is very complex, plus the wolf is very intelligent. Much more intelligent than dogs, from what I get. Yes. Um, they're on a par with, uh, say, an 11, 12-year-old child. Uh, intelligence-wise, and whereas a dog is <laughs> basically a three-month-old puppy forever. Kind of a little stupid thing. Yeah, you know, what well, you're saying. man has bred it, uh, the dog down to work, and in, in order to do that, you had to get rid of the brain. Um, oh, isn't that awful? <laughs> isn't that awful? I'd say I, 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 I've never had a wolf hybrid. I've got, I've got to say, like most people, I've got dogs, and two of them at the moment. And, and now when I look at them, I'm going to think, boy, you're stupid. We, we bred you down to, to remove your brain or to, to diminish its intelligence. <laughs> They'll never talk to me again. I know they never will. <laughs> well, the wolf society is very similar to the way the American Indians lived. It's a nomadic society, um, a small group of anywhere from 2 to 24, 25 animals uh, working as a group for survival. Okay, again, let me, let me ask you now. Why would why would you breed a wolf and a dog together? Why not just leave the wolf as a wolf and leave the dog as a dog? Why why, why does anybody do the mix mix the two? Well, it's very hard to uh, domesticate the wolf, and if you want to have anything to do with that type of an intelligent animal, um, you have to mix in a little bit of dog so that it will accept uh, being around humans. He makes in a little bit of dog so he'll come home at night or something, <laughs> like, something like that. Yes. But, you know, but I mean, if you want to do that, you know, why not just have a dog? Why not? And let, let wolves by themselves. It, it seems kind of it's kind of like domesticating a lion or something. It doesn't seem there doesn't seem any point to all of that. But in any event, tell me about your group, the uh, the Lokai Clan Wolf Refuge. How did you get into that and how did you get? involved with this whole thing to a point where you want to protect this wolf-dog mix? Well, um, 
it started a long time ago. I've been fascinated by wolves for a long time. Um, I did uh, 10 years worth of study before I ever saw one. And they're just fascinating animals. And somehow I managed to get my hands on one accidentally and uh, found out what a beautiful animal it was and how intelligent it was and it was something that I felt that I could share with other people so I started breeding and uh, about six years into breeding I realized that there weren't enough people out there that were willing to do the education involved in having one of these animals so I got out of breeding when you talk about breeding you're talking about breeding a wolf with a dog well what I had was uh, two high percentage hybrids and what I did is I bred those, which gave me uh, a fairly standard high percentage hybrid. Okay, so these were this was a mix right from the very beginning. Right from the beginning, right. I'd never owned a 100% animal at that time. I see. And what I found is that people buy them for the wrong reasons. They, they do think they're a macho animal, that they would be good for protection and things like that. And they're not. Now you mentioned in, in one of your flyers and things that they don't bark or anything, so they're not. You'd be better to get what you said, a Rottweiler or something like that. If you, if you want, want, yeah. If you want something for protection, you ought to get a, a dog that is basically bred for protection. Um, a wolf or a high percentage wolf hybrid will run away from a stranger. They won't have anything to do with them. Okay, so so obviously they're not going to offer you a great deal of protection then. No. Uh, now what? Now what do you do at the uh, the Lokai Clan Wolf Refuge? You 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 have a lot of uh, these hybrid. I have um, twenty eight right now. And now what kind of a future do they have? Do you just keep them there and keep them away from people, or do you, the the people the people take them eventually and, and no. bring them to their homes, or what? No. What I do is I I provide a home for unwanted animals that people have bought thinking they were going to get a dog and finding out you know, a year and a half, two years into it that they've got a very intelligent animal that they haven't got a clue of how to live with. So I provide a safe haven for them to live out their lives uh, with their own kind. They live in pack situations very much like they do in the wild, except that they're in large pens. Okay, so, so some people who, get, who, who have these animals don't realize... They think they're dogs, right? right. And they, they don't realize there's a big chunk of wolf in them. Well, they, they like the idea of the wolf, and they think that because a wolf and a dog look very similar, that they're going to be able to train it like a dog. And wolves are not really trainable to the point that people want a dog to behave. Like, it won't sit when it's told. It won't come when it's called. And it won't do all the little tricks that it's supposed to do. It sounds like my dogs, which is because that's because they haven't been trained all that well by me. But no, I know what you're saying. And uh, do they? Do they? Uh, the people get to a point where they realize that uh, it's not a dog they have. They're not a totally a dog. Then is right. it? Right. Wolves, and and they come to you saying, you know, help me. Well, once. Uh First, usually what happens is they go to a shelter, uh, a local town shelter or a state shelter, a humane society shelter, and find out that the animal will be killed immediately. Uh, 
all of the shelters in the area of, of New England have been told by the Humane Society and by the state governments to kill these animals immediately. Oh, gee. And it's basically because of ignorance. Uh, they don't think they can be adopted out. And in some aspects, I agree with them. The animal needs... Um, special care, it needs special areas to live, and it needs somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah, I guess that's true of every animal, but right. apparently... Every animal is a special needs animal. Yeah, but particularly when you're talking about uh, this combination, wolf and dog mix, because this is the kind of uh, animal that most people don't come across. So they, And when they do, maybe they don't even know they've got one, or if they do know that, they don't quite know how to handle them. Uh, how, how much? How many of now? What do you do with these animals when you have them? You save them from uh, from euthanasia, from being killed, which is really uh, I really appreciate that very much. And and what you 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 I know you accept donations from people and all that. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit for people who want to donate and and keep these these animals alive and well protected and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what do you do when you get them? Just keep them for the rest of their lives? Yes. Uh, there is no uh, finding a new home for them because that would just be perpetuating the problem that they started with. Um, there aren't enough qualified people out there to have these animals. And <laughs> they also need companionship on a 24-hour-a-day basis. And most people can't provide that. And they don't want to have two or three or four animals around their place that don't respond the way they expected a dog to respond. Okay, now you have a lot of these animals there, these uh, hybrids. Right. Do they get along with each other okay? Uh, there are certain members that get along, and there are others that, uh, because they are wolf-like, they have a society rule to follow, which is every pack has to have an alpha male and an alpha female. Now, what does that mean? Um... Alpha male and alpha female are number one. They're the bosses. They run uh, the pack. They tell the others how to live their life, basically. It's, um, it's a pecking order society. And you have second-in-commands called betas, which are, uh, will help out the alphas when in need. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take over if anything happens. Um, Earning the alpha spot is, is a tough road to hoe because it's done through intelligence and strength. You have to fight for that spot. And in fighting for the spot, you also, when you get new animals coming in, you've got animals that have already thought that they were alpha, and you put them in with another alpha, there's an immediate fight. So I try to avoid that by uh, introducing new animals to the outside of a group of pens to see which pens they're going to be able to go into and then put them in and see how it's going to work out. If it's going to be a, a war, then I'll try another pen. Hmm. Are there, are, are there do, do people come and visit just to look and see what these animals look like? Do you yes, have many of those? We're, we're open to the public so that people can see how the animals interact with each other and uh, they're allowed to touch them. And um, I would say of the 28 animals that are here, um, I've only got two animals that I'm a little cautious with. Every every 
other animal is very, very gentle. They've learned that this is a safe place. They have nothing to fear from humans. Okay, now where where in Conway, New Hampshire are you? How, how would people find you? Um, just off Route 302 in Center Conway on Old Mill Road. Okay, Center Conway, 302, Center Conway. Or Route 302, you say? Yep. Center Conway off Mill Road. Okay, that's that, that's not actually not too far from uh, this area. You're heading up in the, into the White Mountains. That's really no, it's pretty. about uh, uh, two two and a half hours out of Boston. Yeah, it's it's pretty country up there. Oh, it's gorgeous. I'm um, from south of Boston originally. And, uh, are you up on the South Shore? Yeah, from Hingham. And some of those folks who who, uh, who knew you back in Hingham would say, "Hey, what is that Fred Keating doing up there?" I in think they would be Conway, amazed. <laughs> they would be amazed dealing with, uh, you know, in a uh, in a uh, loci clan wolf refuge. I didn't expect he'd be there. I'd see him in the general store in Hingham, and and what's he doing up there anyway? <laughs> that's wild. So that's 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 a, a fascinating story anyway. And and uh, how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for eight years now. Uh, I used, like I said, I used to be a breeder before that, and before that I was just studying. So I've got a few years under my belt on it, but uh, uh, just taking in animals and giving them a place to stay has been about eight years. I thought I think I think what you're doing is uh, is a lovely thing. But are there many who are doing the same thing as you're doing in, throughout the country with with a mixture of uh, wolf and dog? Uh, as I'm finding out, uh, there are quite a few refuges around. Uh, wolf Park started off that way, and now they're doing mainly just wolves. Uh, wolf Haven in Washington uh, started out as a refuge for wolf hybrids, and now they're doing just wolves. Uh, but there's a lot of little places around California and New Mexico and Arizona that are doing it. Okay, because as, as you know, as we mentioned, as the uh, the next hour and a half go by, we'll be talking with people primarily about the pure wolves, that, are, that is, those that are not mixed with dogs. Right. And and the fact that at one time, uh, you know, ranchers would say, boy, these, these wolves are coming in and destroying my, my sheep and all that kind of stuff. Let's eradicate them. Let's get rid of them. And I hope that the, the, uh, the pendulum is swung the other way where we say them, there are some that might do that. But we don't have to wipe out all of them. Some of them who live in the uh, in the wilds, who who don't cause problems, uh, and all that, and they're lovely animals, and they're obviously put on Earth for some ba for some reason. Tell me about now the wolf, the wolf, uh, the Loki Clan Wolf Refuge. I know you would not object if people decided to send a contribution to yourself. Oh, not at all. That's how we survive. Uh, tell us how how they do that. Um, send us a check. You know, uh, or call us or come visit. Um, we're easy to find. Okay, and the address is Loki, L-O-K-I, Clan, Loki Clan Wolf Refuge, Post Office Box 1186. Am I doing this right? You are. Okay, Post Office Box 1186, Conway, New Hampshire, 03818. 03818. And it's not as though you have a place where... You know that, that uh, there's another step forward for these animals that they're going to stay with you for the rest of their lives, which is how long? Huh? What is their lifespan? Uh, they've been known, if kept absolutely healthy, to go 17 years. Okay, that's pretty much like a a relative or a smaller dog. I have I have big ones, the Newfoundlands. I had Saint Bernards, and their lifespan is 
what, about eight or nine years or ten years, I think, at the most. They, they don't have long ones. Well, that's because they get heavy and their hearts can't take it. Yeah. Um, it's, it, their, their body is kind of out of proportion to what the hearts can stand. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, that's Loki Clan Wolf Refuge. If you didn't get all this, you you know when you listen to us, just send me a note and I'll, I'll, I'll send you the information. Uh, too, in case you don't have a pencil or you're lying in the dark or something in bed. And <laughs> uh, Loki, Loki Clan Wolf Refuge, Post Office Box 1186, Conway, New Hampshire. That's kind of interesting. This is an area that I think most of us are totally unaware of. But I think, obviously, we're more aware of it now as a result of uh, you coming on the program with us, Fred Keating, and I, I really appreciate that. And good, good luck to you. you Thank get, you very get, much. you have a nice feeling when you get up in the morning and know that you've saved some more of these animals? And there they are, kind of look, did they look at you with gratitude or do they not much much care? Uh, I think they care. Um, that was a stupid They're all question. very friendly and happy to see me when I come out in the morning. Of course, they're my alarm clock. Uh, they sound off at five thirty in the morning. What so. do, what do, now? What do they sound like? You said they don't they don't bark like a like a watchdog would bark. Well, they do bark. It's part of their language, but they don't bark at intruders like a dog does. Oh, I see. Um, Is, does the bark sound like a dog's bark? Oh yes. Um, all dogs came from wolves, so the vocal cords are very similar. Um, there are some dogs that howl like wolves, so I mean, it's just something that's been lost in some dogs. Okay. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. Fred Keating, thanks a million, and, and best wishes to you. And founder and director of the North American Wolf Foundation and Wolf Hollow, which is up in Ipswich. And we're going to learn more about wolves than maybe you ever thought you'd care to know, but I think fascinating stuff. The wolf mixed with the dog. And interesting, the, the fact that the dog is more vicious than the wolf and more and, and not as bright. And we'll learn more about the uh, pure pure wolves in the next uh, hour and a half. American Wolf Foundation and Wolf Hollow, and that, uh, uh, like uh, Loki, the uh, Loki Clan Wolf Refuge is here in New England, and that's even closer, though, for those of you who live in the Boston area. This is up in Ipswich. And I'm glad to talk with you. How are you doing, Paul? Yes. Yes, hi. Hi, you're on WBZ, and I'm glad that you're excited about that. Yes, I am anyway. very much so. I'm going to help the wolf any way I can. I really appreciate you calling me and mm -hmm. let me know I'm helping out. No, you are helping out. Do you like to hear the wolves? Yeah, I can hear something in the background. They what is that? started howling. Well, Leah, let's see. Can you hold the phone up so we can hear that? <laughs> That's... How many how many wolves are there there, Paul? What you're listening to now is 17, 100 percent pure British Columbian timber wolves. Okay, so we're 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 off the uh, the, uh, the 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 kind of stuff that uh, Fred Keating uh, raises uh, or or takes care of the combination of wolf and dog. Yes. And he was saying that the the the, the wolf is much more intelligent than the dog. That in the wild, I mean, they don't attack people. They're they're uh, what fairly peaceful animals. Is that also? Well, it all depends on the situation. And now, what's the situation? For example, I mean, most most uh, not only animals but people uh, will attack if 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 they're being attacked or if, if if somebody they love is being attacked. That kind of they'll fight back. Uh, but we're told that a lot of animals won't just attack for no reason at all. That only humans do that, isn't it? I mean, is that fairly close, or is yes. that just a myth? Uh, 
that's very true. And the wolf is is actually ten times smarter than the smartest dog. That has been decided upon by some of the world's top environmentalists and animal experts. Okay, because the wolf has such a, a terrible reputation, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, who's afraid of the big bad wolf and the wolf meeting little, uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, Red Riding Hood. And, uh, and of course, we use the, the term wolf for a, a human being who's uh, lecherous. Well, well, aren't you a wolf? You know, that kind of stuff. Obviously, the wolf doesn't deserve all of that. Exactly, uh, the wolf does not deserve it at all. The only reason the wolf has a bad reputation is because people that hated the wolf because the wolf was going to possibly cost them money. That, that is the reason why the wolf has been so badly treated by mankind. And when you say the wolf would, uh, was apt to cost them money, you mean in what way? T attacking their uh, cattle or sheep? Yes, that's, that's one of the main reasons. The wolf was exterminated in Europe hundreds of years ago in Ipswich, Massachusetts, the town I live in. There was a bounty on wolves in 1637 when the English government still ran this country. Everybody in this town had to kill wolves. They were paid for it, had a bounty on them, and they were given by the English uh, government at that time. They were given uh, fish hooks that were put together in a, in a combination, and these fish hooks were dipped into fat, and these and you'd have a nice hard ball of fat that was thrown out and scattered around all the woods here in Ipswich. And wolves, especially young wolves, uh, when they see something that smells good to eat, they'll rush in to grab it. And because of the competition of who's going to get it to eat, instead of chewing it, knowing the fish hooks would be in there, they would whoever got there first would take it up in their mouth and swallow it quickly. And then the fat would dissolve in their stomach and then the fish hooks would definitely you know, get into their intestines or into their stomach and the animal would die a very slow, torturous death. And also, all families in the town of Ipswich at one time were required to have a bull mastiff dog, which was, you know, a very large dog. And these dogs were used to kill wolves especially young wolves like puppies and so forth, they would be brought to den sites and let go into the den, and they would go in and wipe out a whole litter of puppies and uh -huh. so forth. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be talking with Rick McIntyre in a little bit, who's written a, a book called The War Against the Wolf, America's Campaign to Exterminate the Wolf, very much the kind of thing that you're talking about. And the fact that it was, because you, you mentioned the British government, it was certainly the American government also later on wanted to get rid of the wolves, and the ranchers got together and said, you know, they're attacking our sheep and all of that, and they want to wipe out every wolf they could see, even those that were not doing the attacking, from what yes. I gather. Uh, so that was kind of ugly. And, and you mentioned one way in which they killed them, were those fish hooks, which sounds simply awful. Uh, uh, it, it's hard to imagine man's inhumanity certainly against man, but against animal like that. And they would poison them, would they not? And there were numbers of other ways they would uh, try to, they just wanted to get rid of every wolf that ever existed. And that seemed senseless. Uh, have, we, have we reversed that at all? Yes, no. Uh, there's a lot of places in the world that are trying to restore the wolf because they have 
decided that it was the worst thing that uh, the American government has ever done as far as the environment is concerned is to wipe out the wolf in this country. And many English companies, I mean, many European companies have also decided the same thing. I had a gentleman here today at Wolf Hollow from England, and what they're trying to do now over in Scotland is get the wolf back into Scotland because of the overpopulation of many plant-eating animals, such as, you know, deer and so forth, at, uh, and it's damaging the environment because there's no way to control these animals other than hunting in many areas. They can't be hunted, and mankind does not have the senses to actually do the job that the wolf does because the wolf is an animal that goes after things that show weak infirmities. And by doing this, the wolf is actually very beneficial to the animals it hunts because it will spend much time trying to find a animal that is showing weak signs and is this is the animal the wolves will normally go after i'm talking about large animals such as deer and moose and caribou and so forth and by taking these weak and firm animals out of the herd it is actually benefiting the herd because it stops those animals from breeding and producing more in infirm animals and it is mankind who thought he was going to take over the job as being a predator in this country does not have the senses to find and uh, discover a weak prey animal so but wolves have the ability because of their acute senses that they can tell which animal in the herd is not healthy and this is very beneficial to the herd and mankind is you know does not want to go out and hunt animals that it doesn't think is you know is healthy and nobody wants to eat something that isn't you know healthy yeah, and yeah, that's right maybe infected and pass a disease along to them or exactly. something exactly and paul paul now you are as founder and director of the north american wolf foundation Yes. It's not the kind of thing you learn in uh, in school. <laughs> Nobody says, uh, what kind of career do you want to go into? I want to take care of wolves and establish a place. Maybe I'll call it Wolf Hollow. How do you get involved in this kind of thing? Well, I've been involved with wolves from a young child. My, uh, my mother was a wild animal lover, and she was also an artist. And one of the first paintings she ever did in her life was a picture of a wolf on top of a hill looking down at a little village of people and uh, I found this picture in my attic when I was only about eight years old and that caused me to be interested in the wolf and as time went by I picked up some skills of being an artist like my mother and when I was in the first grade I spent a lot of time during the class of I would be drawing wolves and Native Americans because of the relationship between the two. So my mother got a letter in the, when I was in the first grade and from the first grade teacher, and it said that if your son Paul does not stop drawing pictures of wolves and Native Americans, he is not going to make it into the second grade because he doesn't pay attention. <laughs> so it goes way back then. I'm 53 years old now, 
And starting in 1969, I had my first 100% pure wolf. And How did you get that? I got that wolf by getting in contact with a person in this country that uh, gave me the animal because I wanted to help the wolf. And I got it as a puppy at 10 days old, which must be done if you have to bond with them at a very young age before they, their sight gets good. Their eyes start to open at 10 days of age and they start seeing good at about 15 days old. So you have to get them used to the sound of your voice and the scent of your body and your touch and the way you handle them so they feel secure around you at a very young age before they open their eyes and they then because if they can see well they will be afraid of you right off but where they can't see well at a young age like 10 days old then they get to know that the scent of your body and the touch of your hands and the sound of your voice is safe and is also being very affectionate with them so when they get to see well then they uh also feel safe with you because you have been nice to them and you, you know, your sound, your scent and so forth and the way you handle them has been kind and been very very affectionate to them like their mother was. What about, now what about Wolf Hollow itself where you have, you said how many, how many wolves do you have there now? I have 17 pure wolves here. Se 17 pure wolves. And what's the idea of Wolf Hollow? Is it, uh, uh, well, I guess I can end the question right there. What is the what is the idea of that? Yes, Wolf Hollow is well, the North American Wolf Foundation is something I founded back in nineteen eighty eight and it's a state and federally licensed educational facility. What we're trying to do here is save the wolf in the wild by exposure and education to people that come here and visit on weekends. We're open to the public and weekdays. We do groups by reservation. That's when the schools come here and so forth. And uh, people get to see the wolves during the presentation, which involves myself and my wife, Joni, being in the enclosure with the wolves. And... Uh, People are uh, in the outside in, in an observation area, and it's behind double chain link fencing, which is part of the federal rules. And uh, they get to see the wolves all during the presentation, and my wife does a verbal part of the presentation, and she does very well at that. And I interact with the wolves because I've been working with wolves hands-on for many years, and to me it's my happiest time of the day for me and I know how to provoke situations which most people would think would be very dangerous but it uh, I know how to unprovoke those things that I do so I can limit the amount of aggression the wolf is going to show and the wolves are very testy animals they will test something they think has a weakness in it and if it shows that it is going to be submissive and, you know, I just am talking about people, so. No, but, but it's kind of interesting because you're talking about how intelligent wolves are so they can spot things that maybe some people can't even spot. Oh, but, definitely. Yeah. And, and how, do you, how do you get to marry somebody who's interest, interested in wolves when you were going with your wife? You said her name is Joan? Joni, yes. Joni. Okay, now how does... Uh, when you were courting Joni, if I may use an old-fashioned yeah. term, 
and she knew you were interested in wolves. I would think that would turn most women off. But you found you found at least one woman who was not turned off by that. But but works with you. Yes, she does very well at it. And well, there was a there was a, a few years where I didn't have any pure wolves here, and uh, Johnny and I got married back in 1975, and that's when the I found out that the wolf in North America was basically down to a minimum and they were still being killed off and they would soon be extinct. So that's when I decided to do something about it by starting Wolf Hall of North American Wolf Foundation. And I got licensed by the federal government in 1988. And I got my pure wolves and that was with the help of Dr. Eric Klinghammer, who runs Wolf Park out in Battleground, Indiana. And he is the one that directed me to the correct people so I could get some pure wolves. And uh, the first wolves I got, I had, uh, we had started off with five 100% pure British Columbian timber wolves, and the males and females are not related, and they were all 10 days old when I got them. So I brought them here, and this is after I had the enclosure built and so forth, and uh, had my federal licenses and all that. And I am a nonprofit facility. Okay, now, now where where are you in Ipswich? We are located on Route 133 in Ipswich. Okay, come to Ipswich and take 133 East, which goes towards Essex and Gloucester. We're about three miles from downtown Ipswich. Okay, I know I know just about where that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, and and uh, you're, you you mentioned your nonprofit group, so people want to send uh, donations to the what would they make it out to North American Wolf Foundation? Uh, yes, and and send it to uh, what's what's the rest of the address? One one four Essex Road, ESSEX. Okay, one one four Essex Road. Uh, are you are you near the uh, the old? Uh, Cable Hospital? Yes, it's just down the street from me on, on Route 133 and 1A where the junction is. Okay, what what is the uh, zip in, uh, in Ipswich? 01938. Okay, and what if people say people want to come up? You mentioned a lot of school kids and all that. They come up and, and you give a talk on uh, wolves and that kind of stuff. Yes, it's a one-hour lecture. Okay, now what do they do? Just uh, call you at uh, what number if they want to arrange a visit, or just drop by, or what? 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 what how does it work? Well, on the weekends, we—that's when we're open to the public, uh, Saturdays and Sundays year-round, weather permitting. As long as it's not raining badly, we open every every weekend. Now, during the weekdays, we take groups by reservation of twenty more. Okay, and that's when schools come here and scouts or any group of 20 or more and uh, we also combine groups if people can't get 20 people together we'll you know get like a group of 10 another group of 10 or something like that and people come here and they go to the outside observation area and they have a bench i have a bench out there where people can sit down for their one hour presentation and myself my wife like i said before go into the enclosure and uh she does the verbal part of the presentation, which she does very well at, and I interact and interplay with the wolves while, the, while she's yeah. doing the presentation.
Is that the word? Yes, I was like, You're groping for the word nutty. Yes, okay. I didn't know the correct, correct <laughs> word to use. They do think I'm crazy some of, some of the things <laughs> okay. I do with the wolves. Okay, can I give uh, you your phone number? Is that the same but, number I just gave? Uh, that That is not not I just gave, but what we used to call you? Yes. Uh, that's, that's 508, of course, is the area code yes. of the Ipswich, and it's 3560216. Correct. That, that that's okay for them to call that number three five six zero two one six. I think I think that would be a, a great excursion for as it has been. I know for a lot of a lot of people. Well, it's uh, a lot of people are really very intrigued by when they come here and they fall in love with the wolves by the time they leave. Not because the wolves nobody gets to touch the wolves that comes here. I mean, yeah. no, but I mean, it's they're a, very afraid of people, especially strangers. So, but they're bonded with myself and my wife and some of the volunteers that come here to help us out. And they, uh, people, when they learn about what the wolf is really all about, and my wife doing the verbal part of the presentation and myself interacting with the wolves, they learn that the wolf is not an aggressive, vicious animal, and it is not an animal that is an opportunist with people as yeah. it is with animals, like I was telling you before about weak and firm prey. Right. Now, now, do, you, do you go out? Do you go out with a, like a slideshow or anything like that? Would you? Would you give a? Or you have your wife give a talk away from where you are? No, we don't, because I don't think that people will be affected the same way as when they see it happening right in front of right, them with right, real right. life. Okay, right, right there. Okay, well, i got to get going because we have news coming up. But you're an interesting man, Paul Safran, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking. The latest one is called War Against the Wolf, America's Campaign to Exterminate the Wolf. And we'll bring back a little bit later on Paul Safran, who founded the uh, North American Wolf Foundation, who has Wolf Hollow up in Ipswich. And Paul Safran, who'd like to talk with him also. Uh, Rick McIntyre, author of the uh, book War Against the Wolf, America's Campaign to Exterminate the uh, Wolf. Uh, and you're, you're, from the, you're from the Boston area of Massachusetts, too. Are, are you, uh, Rick? That's right, Norm. I was born in Lowell, and then until I was 10, lived in Billerica. Then we moved to Framingham and um, went to high school there. And uh, during the 60s, um, uh, WBZ was the station I listened to for rock and roll. So I'm very familiar with uh, your station. And then went to school out at UMass and, and Amherst. So um, I spent, uh, I guess, probably the first 25 years of my life in Massachusetts. And now you're, now you're where? Are you at Yellowstone? You're working as a, as a ranger at Yellowstone National Park? Well, right now I'm in West Texas at Big Bend National Park. I work here in the desert during the winter months and then in Yellowstone during the summer. So I'll be back in, in Yellowstone by May. Okay, now what got you, again, as a kid in Framingham and Bill Rick and all these exotic places, <laughs> what, what got you so interested in wolves? Well, um, I, I think originally it probably all started with reading Walden by Henry David Thoreau. I visited Walden Pond quite a bit in Concord and was really impressed with his philosophy and his love for the outdoors. That influenced me to major in forestry at UMass, and then that led to jobs with both the U.S. Forest Service uh, starting in New Hampshire and then eventually out west. So I've been working as a park ranger out west for about 21 years. 
And one of the first jobs I had out west was in Alaska in Denali National Park, a place where I got to see wolves in the wild all the time. Probably about had about 500 wolf sightings while it was up there. Mm. And the uh, the book of incidentally is just absolutely fascinating. It's a, it's a subject that I would guess a lot of people have never really thought about too deeply. And yet, you can really get into it. I don't, you, of course, you can't hear us where you are, but the uh, first half hour, we had a man from Ipswich who has a a place called the Lokai Clan Wolf Refuge, yes, which uh-huh. is which is a combination of, uh, he's, he, he takes care of hybrids, dogs yeah. and wolves combinations. And Paul Safford will be with us in a while because he wants to talk to you too. He's the founder and director of the North American Wolf Foundation, so yes. this whole two hours is all about wolves. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a, it's a subject people don't know about except who's afraid of the big bad wolf and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. Your, your book, War Against Wolf, indicates that uh, there was government support behind the idea of getting rid of just about every wolf that ever existed on the face of the earth, and they were quite successful in that. Yeah, and it all started right in the Boston area. Um, the purpose of my book was to to show people that historic development of attitudes toward the wolves. And I started right at the very beginning. One of the the first things that the colonists did, this was back in 1630, was to offer a cash bounty for anybody in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Anybody that killed a wolf turned it in and got a cash reward. In fact, during those early days in, in the 1600s, if you did kill a wolf in Massachusetts, the, the reward in cash was roughly the same as a month's wages. Mm. So there was a, a tremendous incentive to kill them off. Even the colony in what is now known as New York City had a, a cash bounty on wolves. So it started during the, the very first days of, of colonization and then continued on to the point where in 1915 there was a big debate in Congress over whether or not the federal government should underwrite a national wolf extermination program in the lower 48 states. They passed that bill. And so starting in 1915 and for many years afterwards, large amounts of federal taxpayers' money was spent to kill them off. Now, you have uh, you get pretty graphic about the ways people killed them off, either, you know, obviously shooting is the, the obvious one, but also poisoning and uh, yes, uh-huh. uh, hooks and uh, all kinds of awful, awful things. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the wolf was our worst enemy in the entire world. Well, of course, a lot of ranchers probably would say that's so because they'd see wolves uh, attacking their sheep and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why, why, why should why should we protect the wolves? Uh, why, why is this extermination of the wolves wrong? Well, I think a, an important point to understand historically, and this was another reason I did the book, I discovered that even the most anti-wolf people in the 1800s freely admitted that the problem the conflict between the ranchers and the wolves had been caused by the uh, the near extermination of the game animals out west. There used to be as many as 65 million bison out here in the early 1800s and millions and millions of deer and elk, but by the late 1800s, almost all those animals had, had been killed off. So the wolves that used to depend on that natural wild prey 
many of them starved to death. They just couldn't survive that, that change. Some of the wolves were smart enough to figure out that there was one alternative to starvation, and that was going after the livestock. So it was understandable in the late 1800s what was happening. The wolves had little choice. It was either livestock or starvation. And if if we were all ranchers out here in West Texas at that time trying to support our family through the livestock industry, if the wolves were coming after our stock, it's understandable that we'd want to kill them off. But all that was a result, all that conflict was a direct result of um, the the killing of so many millions and millions of the prey animals. So that's what really set things up. Okay, but you also mentioned in the book the fact that uh, the extermination spread to you know, what wanted to take into effect the, the fact that we ought to kill all wolves, yes. even those even those in the wild who really did not attack animals. A lot yeah, of wolves prob- do not. Yes, and Norm, probably the best example of that would be Yellowstone National Park, a place that uh, was really set up as a wildlife sanctuary, but even there the wolves were killed by park rangers. I spent a lot of time going through the Yellowstone archives and then reprinted a lot of the, the Park Service reports that documents that it was park rangers on government payroll that were going out there and killing them. It was just a national obsession. It, maybe it, in some ways... It's almost like some of the ethnic cleansing wars that are taking place in Europe right now. Uh, it's very hard to be logical or rational about about these things, but at the time, virtually every single person agreed. In fact, probably the earliest person that I discovered that objected to it was uh, Thoreau back in 1856. As far as I can tell, he was the very first person that was bemoaning the fact that wolves had been killed off in Massachusetts. So, and like in many other things, he was way ahead of his time. Now, are we, uh, have, we, have we taken another tack now? Are we trying to save the wolves? Are we trying to reintroduce them? And yes. why, why would we be doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, during the height of the environmental movement in the late 60s and the early 70s, that's when I was um, in forestry school at UMass and taking a lot of wildlife classes. I think by that point, a lot of people, especially in the universities, began to reevaluate um, all those attitudes and policies and, and extermination campaigns. And I think um, there was a realization that 100 years ago, when um, wolves really were going after livestock, it was proper for ranchers to, to kill those wolves. But the situation has changed now thanks to um, restrictions on, on hunting now. In many areas of the West, there, there's more uh, prey animals than what was there in, in the old days. So there is, uh, there are plenty of prey animals for wolves in much of the West right now. When they were declared to be an endangered species, the uh, endangered species law also mandated that federal land managers out west try to see if there might be some areas where wolves could be restored two to three hundred left in that same area the lower 48 states so that's what we did to them so i think it's, it's only fair to try to make up for that and try to see if there are at least a few places where they can be restored places where they used to live, where they were killed off, places where they could do well if they were brought back right now. And certainly Yellowstone is the prime area. Okay, let's just take a little break and then we'll be back. And I want, I'll bring of the war against the wolf, 
America's campaign to exterminate the wolf and a uh, ranger and all of that uh, kind of thing. And also we'll get to Paul Saffron in just a moment also. And the meantime, uh, let Joe has been hanging out for a long time and has a question. Joe is yes. in Quincy. I, I, you know I'm into the animal thing. Yes. I travel all over the United States. Yeah, never mind, never mind what you did. What's your question, Joe? The question is, I see over 50, 60 wolf cups that are sold at auctions, and there's people out there raising them as house dogs. And ask him about his opinion about well, that. Well, you, you ask him. You've just asked him that. Rick, what do you think? Well, um, pretty much all my involvement has been with wild wolves. So I haven't really been uh, too directly connected with captive-born wolves or wolf hybrids. I think maybe one thing I could say is that people really need to be very cautious about making a decision to acquire an animal like that. Well, it's all done illegally, and I've been in the homes with some of them, and they're pussycats. They're beautiful. And there's nothing that I feel safer with them than I do with a dog. And a lot of people have a code. It's like an underground movement. The breed first, other people fearing second, and the buck comes third. And I could give you addresses where you can buy pure wolves. I can give you telephone numbers where you can buy pure Anyway, we got the idea, uh, Joe. Thank you very much for the question. Let's bring in Paul Saffron also now. Paul is uh, the founder and director of the North American Wolf Foundation. We just talked with a while back. And... Uh, has a place up in Ipswich, Massachusetts, called Wolf Hollow. Paul, meet Rick, and Rick, meet Paul. It's nice to bring you guys together. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, Rick, how are you? Good, very good. Uh-huh. Great. Okay, we're, we're back to, anyway, we're back to a, a subject that uh, people don't really know very, very much about, but it's kind of intriguing, and I think a lot of people, when they see a wolf, think it's a dog anyway. So I would assume that the dog's... Even purebred dogs now were they were they uh, were they bred from wolves? Yeah, that's uh, certainly the prime theory. Some people are even going to the point where they're saying that the scientific name of the dog should be the same for the wild gray wolf, Canis lupus. I think what's exciting about um, this particular aspect is that for people that have never been lucky enough to be around wolves in the wild, if they've been around dogs, they, they already do have quite a bit of knowledge about wolf behavior. Uh, certainly a, a family dog, its relationship to its master, to the other folks in the family, is very much similar to the way that a wild wolf would relate to the other members of its pack. So uh, dogs and wolves have, have many, many things in common. What, do you, what, what are your comments about that, Paul? And what, what comments, what, what questions or comments would you like to make to Rick? Well, I'd like to thank Rick for writing this book, A War Against the Wolf. We have that for sale here in our gift shop. And uh, he definitely has spent a lot of time investigating what has happened to the wolf in the past. And I give him a great compliment for that. Cause mm, thank you. Okay, that's it, eh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, for right now, because I, yeah. What did you think about that last caller, Joe, who uh, who says that 
he seems to indicate he'd rather deal with wolves than with dogs because he says they're gentler. Is that, that doesn't seem right to me, but maybe so. I don't know anything about wolves. Well, that all depends on the person's knowledge and how to behave with a wolf because you have to behave like a wolf to be able to get along with a wolf. How is, now, how is that? That's, that's, uh, how do I behave like a wolf? Well, you have to know what facial expressions mean to a wolf. And uh, if you give the incorrect facial expressions, that means you can be giving them a challenge or threatening them. Even that facial expression, the the wolves can read your face? Oh, definitely. Like, my eyes are very important things. Uh, wolves, when they, when they look at each other, if they're staring at each other, one is staring at a lower-rank wolf, that means it's telling that uh, lower-rank wolf that, you know, you're misbehaving, I don't like what you're doing, you know. With, uh, and when they blink, that is a sign of friendship, like I do with my wolves here all the time. If one is looking me in the eyes, I look it back in the eyes and I blink my eyes, which is letting them know that I'm a, giving them a friendly gesture. And also smiling. If you smile at a wolf and show your teeth, that is a threatening gesture. So when you smile, you just keep your lips tight and give a smile and blink your eyes. And this is a totally friendly gesture and they accept that and they will come up and sometimes jump right up in my face and lick me in the face and the nose and I also give them a little lick back that might sound kind of gross to people but that's what I do <laughs> and it makes them happy and I'm very tightly bonded with my wolves and I have one wolf here his name is Liko which is a Greek name for wolf and he stands almost 6'2 when he reaches up to take a vitamin out of my hands. So from the tip of his back feet to the tip of his nose, he's at least 6'2", and he weighs about 140 pounds. And uh, this uh, gets people very excited to see this happening, and I also give him vitamins out of my mouth. I take a vitamin. Oh, pet dad. <laughs> I think I'm going to be sick. I'll take a pet dad vitamin and uh, break it in half, and that ends up being about twice the size of a aspirin. And I will put this in my lips, and he will reach up and very gently put his paws on my shoulder and also take this vitamin out of my mouth very gently so it kind of erases the knowledge that people have about wolves as far as being mean, aggressive, vicious animals because they have the most... They have the greatest control over their jaws, and I will also do things where it will intimidate the wolf into grabbing my hand, but they have an inhibited bite when they are teaching. Wolves are great teachers, and this is how they teach their young. When the young are doing something wrong, they will come up and grab one of their young around the, the muzzle, but they will do it very gently, and it's their way of instructing saying, hey, you're doing something wrong, so cut it out. So I do these things all the time, and it lets people know these wolves are, you know, any wolf is not a mean, aggressive, vicious animal, that they are teachers. It, you, you, must have, you must have felt uh, a lot of grief reading uh, Rick's book, uh, Rick McIntyre's book, War Against the Wolf. Oh, yes. Because he, you, know, he's talk, you, you, you were talking, Rick, about uh, the war against it. You know, be, way back in colonial times, yes. and right, right through the uh, time that uh, uh, the uh, ranchers were out there on the uh, mm -hmm. on the range and the whole thing. And incidentally, and you also got some pictures that are are kind of scary to the kinds of things that they did with wolves and the the result of all of that. But it just was con considered kind of sport, and nobody. It, I guess it was like our war against the Indians. We just assumed yes. this this was this was the enemy. 
and it didn't really matter what you did to them because they had no feelings and who cared. Also, one of the, the great ironies in the whole story, Norm, is the fact that the professional wolf killers that the federal government hired uh, eventually turned out to have such a, a great deal of respect for the wolves that they were going after, maybe just like the the Army Scouts uh, learned to respect the Indians uh, as well. But that, that turned out to be one of the early uh, turning points. Um, one of the sections I have in the, in the book is on the famous outlaw wolves and the government agents that were sent to kill them. And oftentimes those government agents uh, ended up being... Um, uh, converted by their experiences with the wolves. I, I think maybe the best wolf story that was ever written is the one I have in here from 100 years ago called Lobo. And it's uh, about a man that is sent to New Mexico to kill the wolves there, but he becomes so impressed with their courage and bravery and their loyalty to each other um, that he spent the rest of his life trying to, to save wolves. And I found that very consistently with many of these people that were so closely involved with wolves in the wild, it really did turn them around. And I think ultimately what's most exciting about this story to me is that it is a story of optimism in the sense that it's true that, that our country did so many terrible things to the wolf. We, we did virtually exterminate from the lower 48 states, but, but now things are different, and that very same animal that we tried so hard to, to kill off, we're, we're trying very hard to, to bring back. And, and so it's a very optimistic story. I think it's, uh, it's a very exciting thing to see how history can change so much over our relationship between ourselves and an animal. A lot of people are calling and would like, obviously, to talk to both of you guys. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's take a call from Jim, who's in uh, Georgetown, not far from Ipswich, where your place is, uh, uh, Paul. Yeah. Hi, uh, hi, Jim. Hi, Noam. How you doing? Good. Um, I just want to say uh, I have read Rick's book, and it's an excellent book. It's, uh, it really disturbed me just to see what the history was with the wolves. And also, I'd like to compliment Paul and his facility in Ipswich. I've been there a couple of times. Thank you. And it's um, very enlightening. Now, what what got you all interested in all of this, uh, Jim? Um, I don't know. I think my dog, for one thing, I read read quite a few books on dogs, and just kind of segue into wolves. It kind of you kind of felt like that was kind of an ally as a result <laughs> of liking that dog. Hey, well, good. It's true that all the um. Be um, dog behavior does mimic wolves. Yes, mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if any any one of you two are aware of the movement up in um, Maine. Yes. Mm -hmm. To get um, wolves restored up there in that zone. Yes. Mm -hmm. sure. And as you may know, there uh, there's been at least one, maybe more than one, cases now where um, Canadian wolves have um, crossed the border and ended up um, in Maine. Unfortunately, the one that we know of for sure was shot for its trouble mm -hmm. but it's exciting that uh, the wolves on their own may end up coming back to, to maine a reintroduction may not be necessary you, as a matter of fact you have a you have a uh, you're talking about the nonprofit organizations uh, involved with wolf issues and you have the maine wolf coalition up yes. in Augusta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's also in the back of my book i, I list a number of uh, organizations and uh, let me turn to this there's a a group called Restore the North Woods that's based in Concord. 
and uh, they've been working on wolf restoration issues in the Northeast quite a bit as well. There's a lot of interest in doing something in the Adirondacks, and um, so there's a lot of very exciting things happening. I think uh, the best possible thing for all these movements has, has been the tremendous success that we've had in, in Yellowstone. And uh, for your listeners that may not be familiar with that story, just very briefly, the uh, the wolves were originally killed off around 1926, and then some Canadian wolves were captured and set free just about a year ago in Yellowstone. And I had the privilege of, of being there last year and witnessing that and, and actually helping thousands of visitors see the wolves. And there's a very good chance that... Um, if uh, some of your listeners, Norm, can come on out to Yellowstone this summer, they will be able to see wild wolves in Yellowstone Park. And so a lot of the things that Paul and I are talking about tonight, they, they can see for themselves in person in Yellowstone. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Norm. Thanks for the form. Thank you very much, Jim. Let's go to John in uh, Michigan. Where in Michigan are you, hey, John? I'm in Ohio, Michigan. I'm halfway between Detroit and Lansing. Okay. Uh, no, we had a... Uh, in case you're, they, uh, there's some guy here that sells these hybrids, you know. This uh, is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. I mean, the combination of yeah, dog right. and wolf. I, I'm not against this. Well, I think this is a good deal to bring the wolf back because they do need it because the deer population is terrible now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not against them for it. But I'm against this, uh, this crossing with wild and tame animals. I mean, you get into the genetics there, and that's, uh, that's another field. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there was a girl killed up in Flinter about five years ago, a little girl. And the wolf was real tame and what they had for a couple of years. Just one day, it up and chewed her up. Was that a, a hybrid animal? Yeah, it was a hybrid. Okay. What, one thing to stress, I'm not sure if anyone has said this earlier, that as far as we know in all of North American history, there's never been a proven case of a healthy wild wolf killing a person. And I can draw on my own experience to add to that. Uh, in Alaska and on, in Montana, I've probably had uh, 50 or 60 very close encounters with wild wolves within 10 or 15 feet, and I've certainly never had any feeling of threat or danger. Well, it's the hybrids that I'm concerned about. Yes. Uh -huh. cross, so I don't, uh, I'm not against the wolf. I think they yes. should bring them back. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Okay. Okay, yes. thank you, John. Thanks, it's a good program. Thanks a lot, John. And uh, Barbara in uh, Brookline, you're on with uh, Paul Saffron, Rick McIntyre, and me, and nice to have you with us. Good morning, Norm. Hello. Um, it is, I am in my mid-70s, and many years ago, my grandfather raised German Shepherd dogs, and he told me at one time that what he had to be careful of was were the dogs, if the dogs lapped water, they were, there was enough shepherd in them. If they sucked water up, there was too much wolf and they had to be destroyed. Now I just wondered whether you guests could comment on that. There's too much dog in it, actually. I'm sorry? There's too much dog in it, it's not the wolf. It's the dog that's the problem is what you're saying, Paul. Yes. Yeah, not the not the wolf, and why would you destroy a wolf uh, for that? Well, so in other words, what what the, I, what you guys are saying, I think, Paul. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Paul and Rick. 
Does this sound like a, an, what we used to call an old wives' tale? Is this a, this an accurate? Well, I know from, from my angle, and again, let me emphasize that I haven't had much direct experience with with hybrids and other crosses. It's been pretty much all with wild wolves. I'm constantly amazed by um, why it is that wild wolves seem to hold human beings in, in such res- respect or, or fear and that they really are no threat to us at all. On the other hand, um, there's the issue that every year in our country, pet dogs kill 20 people and attack roughly uh, a half a million folks. So there's certainly something about the domestication process where when you uh, end up with something that's mostly dog, it's far more likely to attack than anything that's really a true wolf. Well, uh, could you just make any comment on whether... Wolves suck up water as opposed to lapping water. The the wild wolves that I've watched close enough uh, sure look like they were lapping water to me. Yep. I well, agree with you on that. Said it maybe, but yeah. my grandfather was from Canada. Yeah, your your grandfather apparently uh, didn't take a real close look because neither Paul nor Rick agree with him. Yep. And, and and Paul is just saying that that that, that what you're saying is not so at all. They will bite. They will. Like it looks like they're biting the water. They don't sit and suck it up like like yes, possible. All right, do. they're biting it rather than lapping it. Well, no, that no. What Paul is saying is that still lapping it. It just it's uh, they lap it in a different kind of way. Is that right. what you're saying, Paul? Yeah, so they take a mouthful of water. They put their muzzle in the, into the water a couple of inches and actually right. like take a mouthful of water, lift their head up quick and swallow it and then do it again. Yeah, thank you very much for calling, Barbara. It's it's kind of funny how these things stick with you. You hear something from, especially from a grandfather, something you expect it's, it's going to yes. be whiz, full of wisdom. And sometimes grandfathers have no idea what they're talking about. Probably didn't yeah. see too good. <laughs> he may not have. And there's a woman in her mid-70s still believes that. You mm-hmm. know, it's in, And she probably still believes it even after she heard you guys dis- dis- disclaim all of that. Well, Norm, can I make a statement here? Yes, of course. Actually, I am. I don't dislike hybrids, but... The fact is, the hybrid is the most detrimental thing there is to the wolf in the wild. Because any time that a hybrid hurts a, a person, the people blame it on the wolf part and the animal, when actually it's the dog part. Because dogs don't have fear of people, so people put down the wolf in the wild when the hybrid does something to a person. Like there was a young boy killed up in Vermont back a couple of years ago that was in a uh, child daycare center, and the daycare center was next to a a place where a man owned some hybrids, and uh, the, one, of the, one of the young boys left the daycare center and walked over to the cage where the house was next doors to him, and the hybrid that was in the cage was a female that just had a litter of puppies, and the gentleman that had the hybrids did not have a a good uh, enclosure. It was a very low fence. It was only five feet high, which a wolf can jump over, actually, a 10-foot fence if it doesn't have an overhang. So this a hybrid, you know, depending, if this hybrid saw the young boy coming over to its enclosure, and it, it got frightened because it thought the boy was going to maybe, you know, threaten the puppies, so it jumped out of the enclosure, and it killed this young boy. And all the 
news that was put out about it was basically detrimental to the wolf. When in fact, actually, it wouldn't have happened if it was a pure wolf. I, I agree with Paul's statement. Um, from my experience uh, working with projects out west with wild wolves, it's those very things, the, the worst possible thing um, for those uh, wolf restoration projects, people that are opposed to wolves will take something like that and um, use it for their own purposes to try to scuttle uh, those wild wolf, wolf projects. I, I think the, the difficulty in the situation with the hybrids is that uh, almost everyone that, that gets enamel like that does it for real good motives. And I think usually the motive is that they really admire and respect wild wolves, and they, they want something that maybe gets them close to what they, they feel a wild wolf is like. But there are very few people that maybe really understand what kind of a commitment is really required to take proper care of an animal like that. Exactly. And uh, I think that's the real critical issue. A, a friend of mine in Montana does have a hybrid, and and he spends every day probably three to four hours with that dog playing and running and doing everything. And because of that, the animal is very well-adjusted, perfectly behaved. But I could sure see if my friend neglected um, the animal, just kept it chained up in the backyard, just like neglecting a, a child, and the, the, the wolf dog could really uh, react inappropriately, and it could be in a violent way. So I think ultimately everything goes back to to the ownership of the animal. And unfortunately, a lot of the things I've seen personally and then stuff I've read about indicates that there aren't that many people that, that take proper care of the animal. Okay, let's say, we'll take, good on, are you both agreeing on everything? Yeah. Like and that. Another, another true statement that goes today is that 90% of wolf dog hybrids are put to sleep before they're yes, two years I, old. I've heard that. Oh. And the reason that, that is, is that because people that get them don't know really what really know what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. And when the wolf hybrid starts to get sexually mature, that's when they get to be very intense in their behavior. And those are usually that's the time when they start to get very feisty and, and aggressive, and that's when people might do something like slap the animal to make it stop this aggressive behavior, and the, and the wolf hybrid will retaliate. Yes. Where, you know, and this is something people won't put up with, and they'll have the animal put to sleep. I have had over 900 phone calls in five and a half years' time from people that wanted to get rid of their wolf-dog hybrid over 900 phone calls from wow. all around the country. Wow. Okay, let's take a call from Pauline, who's in the uh, the uh, town of Westboro, Massachusetts, and who's been to uh, to your place there. Uh, Paul? Yes. Hi, Pauline. Hi, Norm. Thank you. Hi, Paul. Hi, Pauline. How are you? I'm fine. How Thanks. are you? Fine. What a nice surprise to hear you on Norm's show tonight. Well, I'm very uh, happy to help the wolf, and this is the best way it can be done. Well... I, I want to say, Norm, um, Paul is not telling you in detail of their um, commitment to this. Uh, recently, his wife, Joni, told me that since they got the wolves, which was in 1990, Paul, was it? The babies? The first yes. set? Yes. Since they've had them, they have only, one of them always has to be home. Uh, they've only been out of the house twice together. 
once for a son's graduation and once for a daughter's wedding. Mm. Right. Um, which, to be, yeah. you know, uh, I think you follow the name of the wolves because that's an incredible commitment. Uh, that, is, that, is, that is what you call devotion. I would <laughs> certainly agree with that. And yeah, maybe I, something. I, a, I wonder if I have a question. Well, not a question, but I'd like Paul to tell you one thing. Then I have uh, a question for Rick. Um, Paul, if, if you, I wonder if you've mentioned or, or if I missed it, but if you could tell Norm and other people those two things, those main things that we that humans can learn from the wolves that that wolves do better than humans. What do you mean as far as hunting animals? Well, as far as taking care of their babies. Oh are. yes. Well, that's something that is uh, very original for the and the wolf. Wolves will never hurt their young. And we prove this here all the time to people by bringing out food during the presentations. And when there are young wolves out here up to about the age of 10 months old, that's when the rank order starts getting set. And the young wolves are always allowed to eat first. I have 17 wolves here, like I say, and 13 of them were born here. And we, people see that year after year, because I've had four litters born here. And when I bring the food out and I put it down on the ground in front of the observation area where people can see this, the young puppies will come up and start eating the food. And the, the alphas, which are the mother and father, will stay right there and make sure that nobody interrupts him, uh, anybody else from the pack. And uh, the mother and father will even wait sometimes till the puppy have had their fill, and then they'll go and eat first, and they eat in rank order after that. And it's, it's, uh, people are totally amazed by this because this is something you won't see in any other species. Hey, what about the um, celibate subordinate? Excuse me? What about the... Tell them about how the only pair that makes are the, are the alpha pair. Yes, the alpha pair are the leaders of the pack. And, uh, so in other words, also, uh, you won't find a husband and wife abuse. You won't have a, a, a parent parental abuse of children among wolves. That's only in, mostly in humans. Yep. And uh, Norm, one of the things that we've found with wild wolf packs that might interest you is that Almost always, it's the alpha female that's the true leader of the pack, that um, she's, uh, in many cases, is more dominant than the alpha male, who may well be much larger than she is. One other thing that, that's always impressed me that kind of relates to some of Paul's comments is we've noticed that the... Um, the non-breeding members of the pack that volunteer to uh, care for the pups when the alphas are out hunting, essentially you could say the ones that run the daycare center, are given very high status by the alpha wolves for performing that job. In our society, usually daycare workers don't have very good pay or very good status, but in the wolf pack, it's, it's just the opposite. Very true. No. Okay, did you have, did you just say you had another question you were going to ask Pauline? Well, I, I wanted to um, ask Rick to talk about one thing. Um, if if man doesn't think it owes the wolf a debt, 
you'll think so after um, Rick explains what denning is when we were in the process of eliminating the wolves. What what denning was when they were killing them off? Right. Well, yes, it's a very distasteful thing to talk about, but I think sometimes uh, to appreciate what wolves have been through and and to um, give one more reason for trying to make up for for that and bringing them back. This was especially done by the the federal predator control agents back in the 20s and the 30s. The technique was in the spring they'd train dogs to follow the scent trail of adult wolves back to the den. And then on arriving at the den with the shovel, they'd dig it out and, and kill all the pups along with the mother wolf. And the refinement on the technique to make sure that you killed every member of the wolf family would be to temporarily spear the life of one of the pups and chain it up to a, a nearby tree or a root and then set up an ambush. And, of course, that pup who would just witness the, the death of its mother and all of its siblings would be crying out and howling out. That sound would carry for miles. It would be heard by any surviving adult pack members. And they, really without checking for their own safety, would come rushing in to try to save the pup, and as they did that, one by one, they'd be shot and killed. And that was really the technique that the, the federal government used to exterminate the, the war in the West. Yes, so, go, go ahead, Paul. No, I'm, yes. Uh, in this town of Ipswich, we have a gentleman here that back in 1939 was working for the federal government to kill wolves out in the West, and this involved dynamiting dens. They yes. would find out where the mm. where wolf den was, and it had puppies in it. And they would basically, when the adults were out hunting, they would put dynamite in the dens. And when the wolves came back, the parents and the rest of the pack, and the, the parents went into the den, especially the mother usually, they would blow up the dens. And the, in one day, he said out there, they blew up and killed 225 wolves. Uh, that's, that's, now, that's, that isn't the cruelest thing. Uh, some of the, you, of. you know, anyway, Paul, and thank you. I'm going to move along to another question in a moment. But talking about cruel things, you mentioned in your book, Rick, about uh, one device they had, and that was to to put a wire, tighten a, 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 a wolf's penis so yes. that he could not urinate. Then they would kill the wolf. And then they would drain it of the pee, of the, the urine and use the urine as a scent in order to attract other wolves so they could then kill them off, too. Right. Some of the methods were so painful reading your book. I yeah, especially, to from, especially from my male readers. Yes, what sure. I came across that because I was finding all these pictures of these uh, government predator control agents bringing live wolves back to their camp. And then, uh, like in Paul's story, I found an old-timer and he finally explained to me that was the reason why they would keep these poor wolves chained up. They could drink all the water they wanted, but there actually was a tight wire um, around their penis so they couldn't urinate. They would wait until their bladders were just about to burst, and then they would kill the wolf. And uh, oh, male wolves, when they get the odor of some strange male's urine in their territory, they have to go over and investigate. They have to check it out. And so um, the trapper would put all the steel traps and then sprinkle the foreign urine around it, and that's how he would kill them. Oh, that's so awful. Let's go to Bruce. I'm kidding. I hate to even think of that. <laughs> Bruce, I mean, not simply because I'm a male, but simply because that is so cruel. You, you can't. 
anyway, and we talk about the wolf. You know, let's kill the wolves. They're so bad. And look what we do. Yes. Bruce, anyway, in Boston, you're on WBZ. Hi, Bruce. Hi. I have um, a comment and something to ask Rick. Yes. Um, first, the comment is um, I think it's, you know, uh, kind, of hip, um, kind of two-faced that we have um, this national basketball team that has their, uh, their mascot um, being the wolf. And, um, I mean, I'm sure this, you know, this won't happen, but, um, you know, it seems like if they, if they had any, you know, real concern from the mascot um, that they're using, um, they could use some of their, of their funds to, you know, do something for the wolf. Yes, uh-huh. that's a good um, suggestion, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I don't see why that, that hasn't been raised anywhere before, but I, but I think it would be, um, you know, it's basically they, they have... Uh, you know this ghost animal that we've yes. more or less wiped out, mm-hmm. but they're you know they're using it on their you know on a team uniform. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's true of a, a whole lot of teams that, that that use an animal as insignia, like the Boston Bruins. Maybe we ought to help the bear. Yeah. And maybe the <laughs> Detroit uh, American League baseball team ought to help the mm-hmm. Tigers and all or the, the Lions for the National Football League. Anyway, thank you very very much, Bruce. Let's go to Pat in. Uh, the town of Plainville, Massachusetts. Hi, Pat. You're, uh, Pat, you're on WBZ. Hi. Hi. I'm uh, very interested in this because uh, I certainly know where Ipswich is. I lived in Newbury for the first 21 years of my life. And uh, I we lived on a big farm, and there were farms all around and everything, but I never saw a herd of wolves around there. And yet my sister-in-law still lives there in Newbury, and she knows that there are wolves that live behind her house, and she hears them at night and so forth. Now, are they becoming popular in in Newbury, too? Now, are, are you saying that these would be wild animals, or are they pets that people no, have? No, they're wild animals. Okay. Well, my, my guess is that what may be there would be the eastern version of the coyote, and maybe I could defer to yeah. Paul on this, since yeah. he would be more knowledgeable about what's happening now than I would be. That's exactly right, Fred. They wouldn't be wolves. There's yet. been no wolves in Massachusetts since oh. the well, that's interesting. well, I never saw a coyote either, as that goes. There's coyotes in Massachusetts now. The coyote has uh, more of a yipping call, more of a high-pitched call than the real classic deep-throated uh, wolf howl. Yep. So that's one way to, to try to tell the difference. But the eastern coyotes are much bigger than the ones that we have out west. Yep. And so just to see one at a distance, it might be hard even for an expert to tell for sure. But uh, Paul is correct. There haven't been uh, real wild wolves in Massachusetts for probably well over 100 years. Now, would they, uh, would the coyote uh, bother the, the uh, farmer's flocks and so forth? Yes, uh, certainly in the West, the, the number one predator on livestock would, would very much be coyotes, and that's why in Yellowstone we have a, a real fascinating situation. We um, have been lucky in that there's been a researcher that's been studying the coyote population there for six years, and he's predicting when the wolves are back at full strength in Yellowstone, 
that's going to cause the coyote population to drop as much as 70 percent. The theory is that when the wolves were all killed off, they had been the main natural population control over coyotes. So when the wolves were killed off, that allowed the coyotes to skyrocket. And uh, last, uh, I guess it was July, uh, I had this great observation in Yellowstone of a young wolf that caught a coyote, pinned him down, bit him, uh, let him go, caught him again, pinned him again, and bit him. They kept on chasing until the point where the coyote was right at the edge of that wolf's territory. They both stopped and they looked at each other. And as soon as the coyote took the next step beyond the territory, the wolf made a U-turn and went home. Oh. That was his point, just to kick the coyote out of the area. Yeah. And so there's a real fascinating relationship between the two animals. Very true. A yeah. wolf will not tolerate coyotes in its territory because and coyotes are a threat to young wolves. I'm going to have to kind of bring this. This is a fascinating discussion. I'm so glad we got onto this, and I'm so glad that uh, you, Rick McIntyre, and you, Paul Saffron, uh, came on with us. And uh, I've talked about this, and also uh, Fred Keating was on with us earlier. And I, I thank you. Uh, we have to do this again one other night because we an awful lot of people uh, want to talk to you both, and we've just run out of time. And I'm sorry about that. I'd like to make one more statement. Well, if you can do it in about 20 seconds or 15 yes. seconds, Paul, I don't have much time. I'd like all the people that are listening to know that the wolf is the greatest benefit to a healthy environment and is also very important to people's health because if the wolf is present and you have a complete environment and you have other animals around, small predators that will feed off of rodents. And in the town of Ipswich, was a, which was I gotta, a I gotta, I'm sorry, i got to cut you off, Paul. Well, that, that's not, well, no, no, no we're, we're all out of time now. Paul Saffron, founder and director of the North American Wolf Foundation, Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, and uh, Rick, Rick McIntyre, War Against Wolf, America's Campaign to Exterminate the Wolf. A fascinating book. I'm Norm Nathan. I'll see you toward the end of the week. That episode was packed full of information. But seriously, we can learn a lot from the wolf. Thanks for stopping by, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share across all your favorite streaming services. Please consider becoming a patron over on Patreon. You can subscribe there and get access to some special content you won't find anyplace else. Thank you to all the generous patrons that have signed up. We are inching our way to being able to start donating to the Berklee College of Music's Norm Scholarship Fund. Closing the vault and leaving this world a little sillier than we found it. For Fred Keating, Loki Clan Wolf Refuge in Conway, New Hampshire. Paul and Joni Saffron in the North American Wolf Foundation and Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, Mass. Rick McIntyre, author of War Against the Wolf, Commitment and Devotion, Big Bend National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Purebred British Columbian Timberwolves, The Who, What, and Why, and Werewolves, <laughs> oh, God. I couldn't help myself, and the man who was always on the prowl for laughs, Norm Nathan, I'm Tony Nesbitt.